Please turn them in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Ephesians 6, 14 through 15. Letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote it to lay a solid doctrinal foundation for these believers so that they could then live out those doctrines for the glory of God. We're now nearing the end of the application section of this letter, and it's been very challenging, but very good too. And the call is to rise to the challenge because we love Christ. And love for Christ is what compels us to continue on in our quest to honor Him with our fast and fading life. Recently, Paul's been imploring us to be Spirit-filled Christians who do the will of God as found in the Word of God. That's seen in many ways, and it should radically affect how we live out our lives on a daily basis, knowing that God is watching. God is watching. Last time, Paul shows us that we in Christ are in a spiritual battle. And the call is to stand strong and to put on the full armor of God every day and to wage a good warfare against the devil, our enemy. It's very serious, and we're called to take it seriously every day until we die and go to glory. Paul continues to talk about this in verse 14. Let's look. Look what it says. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the first thing we see here in verse 14 is a call which is this, to stand with all the armor on. This is the third time in just a few verses that Paul tells believers to stand. The word stand conveys the idea of digging in and holding your position. It means that you hold your ground and that you don't give an inch of territory to the enemy. The picture here is of a soldier in battle. See, the sandals of uh, the Roman soldiers of the day had spikes on them. Why? So that the soldiers could dig in and hold his ground even against fierce opposition. So clearly the word stand here isn't just a casual standing up. No, it's, it's digging in and holding your ground and then waging a good warfare as the battle is raging all around you. So standing means that you don't flee and run. No, you stand firm, you, you hold fast, you, you, you fight well, and you never, ever, ever quit fighting. It's a picture of immovable steadfastness in the face of a relentless and ruthless foe. You stand against him. Who's our foe? Who's our enemy? Our enemy that we are called to stand against is the devil. That fallen angel who rebelled against God took a third of the angels with him who were now demons and who now stands opposed to God and to the people of God. And look, he hates and he despises every Christian. He hates you. He hates you. And so he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, he wants to eat you up. He wants to devour you and he wants to destroy you. And even though he can't take away our salvation, praise the Lord, he can't do that. Hey, he can indeed mess with our life and our testimony and our joy and our witness. And he can certainly bring devastation and damage to us if we're not on guard. And if we aren't taking a stand against him with all of our spiritual armor on. The devil, see, he wants to devour you and he will do whatever he can to do that. Please remember that he's wily, right? We saw that last week. 
Wiles is the Greek word methodia, method, and it describes deliberate planning and a systematic approach to devouring you. Look, the word wiles in verse 11 is used to describe a wild animal cunningly stalking and then unexpectedly pouncing on his prey. And that is what Satan is doing to you and to every Christian. And he's not only... He not only wants to bring you down and bring you into sin, but he'd also love to sidetrack you with false teaching or anything else that'll take your focus off of Christ and put your focus on other things, on lesser things. So he uses cleverness, craftiness, cunning, and deception. He wants to defeat you, to discourage you, and to dishearten you. And he carefully and he methodically attacks each person's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. He has a file on you, see, and he knows exactly what works. Thus, the need for armor. Yes, he can only be in one place at one time. However, he has a massive infrastructure of many demons who do his bidding and who are very, very good at what they do. His wiles and methods are usually attractive, always deceptive, and often ensnaring. So take heed. Hey, take heed. And put on the spiritual armor, or else you will become his prey. Now please remember that the battle is spiritual, not physical. That we wrestle against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The word wrestle shows us the seriousness of what we're all in as Christians. It it shows us that this spiritual battle that every Christian is in isn't a game. That our conflict is intensely serious that we are all in a bitter, bitter struggle against an unseen but very real enemy, that we are involved in hand-to-hand combat with an enemy who wants to ruin us. And again, he's a cheater and he doesn't follow any rules. This is indeed very serious business. And if you're a Christian, you're in it. It's your business. And the picture is of a person engaged in an intense Struggle involving non-physical forces and against strong opposition. See, we are all soldiers in war and we are all wrestlers in combat. And that's our reality as Christians for all of us. But again, it's not against flesh and blood. No, it's spiritual. Therefore, we have to fight against Satan and his evil minions with spiritual weapons. The call for all of us then to stand with all of our spiritual armor on every every single day. That's how we fight. And please remember this. We can fight. Right? Amen? Come on. We can fight well. We can indeed stand firm and stand strong, not in ourselves, but in Him, and that's the key. In Him and in the power of His might. So good news that, that, that while we ourselves can't stand against the devil and his demons in our own power, not a chance. Look, the source of our strength doesn't come from ourselves. Anybody glad for that? Right? The strength and the power and the might comes from God. And that changes everything. Every Christian, see, already has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And also... God has given us everything that we need to stand firm and to wage a winning battle. The key is to hook up to the power source. (laughs) The key is to plug in and utilize the power that's available to us. Okay, how? That's the question, right? How? Put on the armor. Put on the spiritual armor. All of it, every day, no exceptions. That's how. The picture here 
is of a fully armored Roman soldier, and Paul uses this physical picture to show us the spiritual reality. And even though a Roman soldier wore other essentials for war, Paul chooses to focus on six indispensable items, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. And then he added a seventh non-clothing item, prayer, which completes the full outfit of our spiritual armor and of a spiritual soldier. And look, if you put that on every day, or else if you just put it on and never take it off, better, you will indeed stand, which is the call. And you will be a good soldier and a good wrestler against Satan and for the Lord, and how good is that? (laughs) So let's look at some of this essential armor today. First, the waist. Look what it says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You might think, oh, what's the big deal about having a belt? Well, guess what? It's a very big deal. I mean, a girded waist, which consisted of a belt or a sash, was essential for every serious Roman soldier. Why? Because the most basic garment of Roman clothing was a tunic, which was basically a dress. (laughs) A tunic had two holes for the arms, a, a hole for the head, and you put it on and it would fall down around the knees for men and it would be a bit longer for the women, and that was it. It was a, a tunic. This garment was functional, it was easy, and it was convenient. That said, if you were a soldier who was going into battle, hey, that tunic could become a real problem. How so? Well, it could greatly impede your speed, it could get caught on stuff, and it could be easy for an enemy just to grab onto it. I mean, it could be a real problem. Think about it. You're going into hand-to-hand mortal combat, and the last thing you want is your tunic blowing around and getting in the way, right? Thus the great need for a belt or for a girded waist. This piece of Roman armor, see, was more than just a belt, because on this belt was strips of leather that hung down and protected the thighs, The belt was also a place where any weapons could be attached, such as a sword or a knife. The belt was also um, would also have some identification marks on it, most likely indicating what battles the soldier had fought in and what battles that, that soldier had won. And then finally, the belt was a piece of armor that was used to tuck that tunic into, which allowed for greater freedom of movement so that the soldier could move with speed and with dexterity. So you'd pull in all the the loose ends of that tunic so that you could then be fully prepared for the coming battle. So in a very real sense, that belt was the emblem of battle. See, when you put on that belt, that meant that you were now prepared for the battle at hand. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you see a soldier putting on that belt and then shortening his tunic by pulling it up and through the belt and then tucking it in. Well, that's a soldier who's prepared. That is a soldier who is ready for war. See, the belt was crucial because the belt had everything in place. It it held it there. And without the belt, the soldier would be quite powerless and quite careless in battle. What's our spiritual belt that we are to gird and tighten around our waist? Truth. Truth. Note this. To loosen the belt was equated with the soldier going off duty. But for us Christians who are involved in this spiritual battle, we are to never, ever, ever loosen the belt of truth. Because guess what? We are always on duty. And our foe never rests, and therefore we must never rest either. I've said this before, that we are to put on our 
full armor every single day, but really a better way to say it is that we're to put on this armor and to never, ever, ever take it off. No, I mean, sleep with it on, swim with it on, run and exercise with it on, go to work with it on, you come home with it on, and you never take it off if you're wise. Just leave it on. Truth. What is truth? God alone is truth, and because He's the creator of all, and because He's the source of everything that exists, He alone defines what is true, and He alone is the ultimate revealer of all truth. See, He Himself is truth. Christ the Son is the embodiment of truth, and His written word is truth because He cannot lie. So, what then is truth? Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. God is the author, the source, the determiner, the governor, the arbiter, the ultimate standard, and the final judge of truth. Jesus God the Son is the truth incarnate. His word, the Bible, is truth written down because it comes from God to us. See, ultimate truth is an objective reality. It exists outside of us, and it remains the same regardless of how we feel about it or of how we perceive it. I mean, it's fixed, see, it's constant. So you have your truth and I have my truth. That's not right. That's not correct. Because truth isn't up to our own arbitrary personal interpretation of reality or to our own feelings. No, the truth is fixed. And ignoring the words of Christ won't change that fact. And replacing what God's word says with what you want it to say won't change that fact either. See, you either follow the word of God, which is the truth, or you follow a lie. And lies lead you down a dead end and empty road. Satan's the father of lies, and his goal is to lead us away from the truth because the truth is found in God, and the truth is found in the Word of God alone. Now the call here, then, is to have our waist girded with truth, or to put that belt of truth on, which is an essential part of everyone's spiritual armor. Here's a question, and this wasn't easy for me to figure out. Is Paul referring to the content of truth or to truthfulness? Why ask this? Because later on in verse 17, there's another piece of armor called the sword of the Spirit, which is the the Word of God. And I don't think Paul's saying the same thing in these two different places because saying it once is enough. So it seems that here, Paul is primarily speaking of truthfulness and the commitment to that truth. So it's not so much content here, we're going to get to that, as it is to commitment. So the picture is this, you know the truth, you believe the truth, you love the truth that's found in the Word of God, so you're truly saved, and now you are ready to fight for that truth. That's the picture of girding your waist. It it speaks of sincerity, dedication, readiness, and preparedness. You're all in, see. You're all in, and and that's the only way that you're going to win the spiritual battles to come day by day against you um, because your enemy is so wily and wicked. See, you have to be committed to the battle because you know that it's the truth of God. John Eady says it like this. Paul here is speaking of the assured conviction that you believe, and it's God's truth that you believe. Such an assured conviction binds tightly the other pieces of armor and it gives a soldier an alertness and buoyancy that enables him to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And that's right. Charles Hodge says it like this. Truth here is not to be understood as divine truth, the word of God, because that's mentioned in the following verse as the sword. Instead, 
It means truth subjectively considered. That is, the knowledge and the belief of the truth. That's the first and indispensable qualification for a Christian soldier. To enter on this spiritual conflict, ignore ignorant or doubting, would be to enter blind and lame. As a belt gives strength and the freedom of action and therefore confidence, so does the truth when spiritually apprehended and believed. Let not anyone imagine that he's prepared to withstand the assaults of the power of darkness if his mind is stored with his own theories or with the speculations of other men. Nothing but the truth of God, clearly understood and cordially embraced, will enable him to keep his feet for a moment before these spiritual enemies. Sinful human reasoning, traditions, speculative conviction, and dead orthodoxy are the belts of spiderwebs. Truth alone gives strength and confidence in the many conflicts of the Christian life. And that's absolutely correct. So it's the truth of God, believed and committed to as a firm and solid conviction, that's to be the first part of our spiritual armor. And that makes sense. I mean, what kind of soldier will you be if you're indifferent about glorifying God with your fading life? You know, what, what kind of soldier would you be if you're divided in your priorities? What kind of soldier would you be if Christ really isn't seen as your all in all? Not a good soldier. That reminds me of 2 Timothy 2.3 that says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying, see what Paul's saying there? Good soldiers need to be all in. And how much more us in Christ in this spiritual battle who love and believe the truth that saves. Look, Roman soldiers at this time were very serious in their duties because they had to be. Roman soldiers were bound to service through an extremely long term. They took a solemn oath. They were never to desert their standard. They were to submit their will to the commands of their leaders. They were to sacrifice their life for the safety of the emperor. They were constantly involved in military exercises, regardless of age and regardless of weather conditions. They exercised with weights that were double those used in actual warfare. They studied the art of warfare, and they were able to advance 20 miles in six hours, even with all their baggage, until they met their enemy. This, see, this was their life, and they were unreservedly devoted to it. Now think about it. The soldier or act, uh, on active service breaks with everything except the war. They leave father, mother, brother, sister, wife. They, they march away from promising careers, loved occupations, high ambitions, and the finest things uh, of, of responsibility. And they don't look back because they can't look back. Nothing can entangle them, hinder them, or in any way interfere with the one thing. What? Being a good soldier. Fighting well. Standing and battling fiercely. We're called to be like that in the spiritual battle at hand. We believe the truth. We love the truth. And because of that, hey, we're all in. See, we're all in. Look what Paul adds in verse 4 of that Second Timothy passage. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That's speaking of a commitment to the task at hand. See, as a soldier, you can't worry about things that aren't pertinent to the battle. No, you must stay laser-focused. The word entangle here means to weave. It describes getting caught up and enmeshed in something. And here, 
Paul's saying that as a soldier, you must be sure that nothing gets in your way of you doing what you need to do, of you doing your job well in order to please the one who enlisted you. No, you stay focused. You devote your all to being a soldier. You concentrate on what you're doing. Speaks of commitment. Speaks of a single-mindedness. It speaks of setting your eyes on something and, and never taking your eyes off of that because that's what a good soldier does, right? Has to. He stays focused. Why? In order to please the one who enlisted him. Who's that? That's the Lord, right? Paul's saying, come on. Make it your aim in life to please the captain of your soul. Make it your goal to honor the one who enlisted you as a Christian, the one who saved you from hell, the one who put you into this incredible cosmic battle, and you go for it. And you don't let anything distract you. Don't let the cares of this world sidetrack you. Don't let things that don't matter pull you away from the things that last forever. And you just keep enduring until the battle is over. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep suffering without wavering. Keep battling until it is finished. And you be a good soldier for Christ till the very, very end. Why? Because we know the truth. We know the truth and about God, about ourselves, about heaven, about hell, about salvation, about the things that truly matter. Therefore, we are compelled and convicted to live it out with passion and fervor. See, that comes first, right? Christ is everything. Nothing else matters but, but Christ. This life is Fading and fleeting, but the things of God last forever. Christ alone saves and Christ alone satisfies. His word is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And and nothing else matters in light of Him. This world has nothing lasting to offer me. All is empty. All is meaningless without Christ, see? And understanding that is a key for any good spiritual soldier. It's our belt. But if you don't understand that truth and have a conviction about it, you'll never, ever be a good soldier for Christ. Never. No. Good soldiers are eager. They're ready. They're saved. They're all in. They have a conviction. And the truth of God sinks into their heads and it it sinks into their hearts and it compels them to intently and earnestly glorify Christ with their fading life. The belt of truth or truthfulness. Now, imagine being a Roman soldier and you have your belt on and you pulled in all the corners up and tucked them in. There's no loose ends and you're serious and, and you're committed, but you need more than just your belt, right? To be a well-prepared soldier who's going to stand firm. Belt alone won't do it. Okay. So the second piece of armor that was essential for the Roman soldier was the breastplate, the word thorax in the Greek. The breastplate covered the soldier from neck to waist, front and back. It protected his heart and other vital organs and it was usually made of bronze. So what then is our spiritual breastplate? Righteousness. This is so vitally important for us. I mean, no Roman soldier would have thought of going into battle without his vital organs protected. And while you could take a shot in the thigh or in the arm or in the shoulder and survive, you could never take a shot in the chest and survive. No, you must protect your vital organs. You must have on the breastplate. And what's our breastplate? Spiritually speaking, righteousness. All right, what is righteousness? Righteousness means rightness of character before God and man. It describes a behavior that's acceptable to God and that's in keeping with what God is in His holy character. 
So righteousness is godliness, integrity, moral straightness, that which conforms to the will and to the character of God. For us, to be righteous is to be without guilt or moral culpability before God. It's to be pure, just as Jesus is pure, and it involves not just our outward behavior, but also being pure in our thoughts and in our attitudes. And look, we are to wear this like a breastplate in the spiritual battle at hand. So here's a question. Is this talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ that we receive at salvation, or to the necessity of living a righteous life more and more and more? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Both. I believe it's talking about both of those aspects of righteousness. So look, righteousness is the sum total of all that God is, all that God commands, all that God demands, and all that God approves. The problem, therefore, is that no one is righteous except for Jesus Christ alone. None of us are right. None of us are righteous. But I can say with confidence that all of us are wrong. Because we are all sinful. We're all dirty. We're all stained. We are all marred. Now look, the thing that all people need if they are to be acceptable to God is righteousness. However, again, everyone lacks it and no one can produce it. But without it, we cannot see God. That's a problem. So the question is, how do we get this righteousness? How do we obtain a right standing with God Wretched sinners that we are, dirty stained sinners that we are. How can a sinful man or woman be right with holy pure God? I know. Let's do what all the fake religions do. Let's be good. Let's follow the rules. Let's try to work our way to heaven. No, that doesn't work. It's impossible. Instead, righteousness is God's gift to the repenting and believing sinner. How good is that? It can't be earned, but it's credited. It's imputed to the believer at the moment of true saving faith. That's called justification, which is God's act of declaring a sinner just and right. Not changing the sinner's character, but changing the sinner's status, his standing. So by faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, because of what He did for the believer on the cross, God then pronounces that the believer is in right standing with His law and is now fully accepted by Him. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, our own works condemn us, but Christ saves by grace, through faith in Him alone, because of who He is and because of what He did as a believer's substitute for sin on the cross. And now look, for all of us in Christ, the Lord looks at us all through a Christ lens and He sees a group of people who are now righteous, who are perfectly fitted with the clothing of heaven because of Christ. Because of His righteousness that we get to wear like a robe as believers. So the glorious truth is this. That we who believe stand before God clothed with the imputed righteousness of Christ. And that is absolutely incredible. And that's a piece of our armor as Christians. See, look. Satan, our wily enemy, comes and gets us to focus on our sinful behavior. Anybody? Look at how you just exploded in anger. Some Christian. Look at how you you lied to cover your tracks. Look at how you just lusted after that person. Uh, Some Christian you are. 
So we sulk and we wallow around in our sin and in our guilt. We fall back and instead of stand firm and, and we flail around. So what then should you do? You should fall back on the breastplate. Remember Christ imputed righteousness. True, I did just sin, but my eternal life doesn't depend on my sinless behavior or on my perfect track record, good thing. No, I'm trusting in Christ and His righteousness credited to my account. I am forgiven. Christ died for all my sin and I belong to Him, the one who made me alive when I was dead. See how it works? You, you put on the breastplate of the imputed righteousness of Christ as your defense against all of Satan's wily accusations. In one sense, all believers already have this on because this is our reality once we're saved. We are already, we are right now justified. Every believer's covered, right, with a righteousness that's not our own, but is Christ's, amen? I mean, that's a fact, but it's easy to forget that. So we need to constantly be falling back on this great truth. Jesus died for all my sin. I go to him and I give it to him and I move on. I'm not going to wallow around and listen to him. See? Along with that, we're also called to live the righteous in Christ honoring life more and more. Living this out practically speaking. In other words, we in Christ are commanded to demonstrate the righteous Christ honoring life by our behavior. And look... For Christians who aren't doing that, for Christians who are, 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 uh, who are doing that, sorry, for Christians who are committed to that, for Christians who are battling to honor and obey Christ in our lives, it's like a spiritual breastplate that protects them from the onslaught of the wicked one. So he says, hey, if you expect to get into the battle, then you have to be ready and committed and dedicated based on the glorious truth of God. But please, 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 Don't go to battle unless you're living in obedience to God. See? Holy living is a spiritual breastplate for you. And if there's disobedience or wrong attitudes or sin unconfessed and unrepented of, man, you're vulnerable. If you're courting sin in your life and you haven't repented and given it over to God, and you jump into the spiritual fray and you have some sin issue in your life that you haven't dealt with, man, you're going to... Go into the battle without that breastplate of righteousness on, and that is a fool's errand. You see, if you're not battling sin, if you're not pursuing Christ and His glory in your life, if, if you are harboring sin, there's no way you're going to be able to stand because your breastplate isn't on. See? Christians, good spiritual soldiers, fight sin... And they pursue righteousness in their lives. And that's their aim. That's their direction. That's their heart. That's their passion that they are striving after. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that's the breastplate. See, battling sin and perfecting holiness in the fear of God more and more and more and more. That's what we're pursuing. Don't we know that to be true? I mean... That, that when Satan sees a crack of sin, he moves into that crack. The, the call then is to put on the armor and it starts with commitment and it demands righteousness and the pursuit of growing in Christ and a, a progressing in holiness and in obedience. One said, if there's a gap between our profession of Christ and our practice, the enemy will use it to attack us. And that's absolutely right. So we're positionally righteous by grace through faith. And we need to always remember that incredible truth. And then 
We are to be practically growing in our righteousness and in our Christ-likeness as Christians, making it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him more and more. That's the breastplate. Harboring sin, not pursuing, not fighting it, well, then you're wide open to the attacks of the enemy and you will, will not be able to stand. Wisdom says to put on the spiritual breastplate and to keep it on. Third is the feet. Look, the feet are to be shod with the gospel of peace. How important is good footwear for a soldier? What do you think? Absolutely vital. I remember one time I went on a hike with a friend. I wore good hiking boots and he wore some worn out tennis shoes with no tread. I enjoyed the hike thoroughly, but my friend was utterly miserable as he slipped and skidded the entire time and actually it got pretty dangerous. Good footwear, see, is vital, especially if you are a soldier in war. Roman soldiers understood this. See, the sandals of the Roman soldiers were made primarily from leather, and they were fastened to the feet with leather cords that went around the ankle and partway up the calf. The sandals were light and they were airy, which allowed for the feet to breathe and to stay cool and dry, even when the soldier marched, worked, or stood guard all day long. While a soldier might have sore feet after marching for 25 miles, they wouldn't have blisters. And they would quickly and easily dry off after marching through a stream or river. That's how the footwear was designed, see. That said, what made these sandals essential pieces of armor for the Roman soldier was the fact that they were fitted with metal spikes on the bottom of the soles. These spikes helped to maintain their footing and they allowed the soldiers to stand firm in the battle. Now think about it. Battling in the mud, battling on the wet grass, or battling on the hard dirt, that could be a very serious problem. But the spikes on the bottom of the sandals helped the soldier maintain his footing and to stand firm. Absolutely essential. Well, our essential footwear in the spiritual battle that we are all in is the preparation for the gospel of peace. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Christ. That although we have sinned against God and deserve His eternal judgment, look, because of His great love and because of His great mercy, He sent His own Son to bear the penalty that we as believers deserve. He became the believer's substitute for sin. He paid our eternal debt so we who believe in true, saving, repentant faith could be forgiven and go to heaven instead of hell. That is the best news there ever was. And look, we receive God's gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Or this, as Paul says to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's true good news right there. Look, Christ chose me in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians says that. He left heaven. He came here. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross as a believer's substitute for sin. And He rose from the dead three days later, ensuring forgiveness and life for all who believe. And He adopted me. He redeemed me. He set His eternal love on me. He made me His beloved child, His heir. And I have heaven and I have Him as my eternal inheritance when it's the last thing that I deserve. That means everything. Ah, True peace at last. Right? Peace for the soul. The word used here for peace is the Greek word irene and 
The Hebrew equivalent of the word is shalom, peace. Peace pictures the binding or joining together again of that which has been separated. Peace means that the warfare has come to an end. But more than that, peace means the restoration of a broken relationship. Peace is what happens when two people who haven't been speaking once again become friends. Peace means that a relationship that was once filled with enmity is now filled with joy. Peace is a positive change in a relationship between two people who were once enemies. Peace. Shalom. Well, Christ gives us true peace, right? Eternal peace. Peace with God, which means everything. So how is that a piece of our armor? Well, I don't believe it's talking about spreading the gospel. Instead, I believe it's talking about the believer's stability that comes from the gospel, which then gives him peace so that he can then stand in the battle. One note of this. The idea seems to be that the mind is to be steadied, kept from fear and flutter by means of the good news of peace, the good news that we are at peace with God. And if God be for us, then who can be against us? The good news of peace keeps us upright and firm. And that's absolutely right. So look, your feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation means to be made ready or equipped. And here, Paul's simply saying that your feet should be made ready, equipped, and prepared by being properly shod or fitted for the battle. So he's saying, hey, to stand firm against the enemy, you need to be prepared by putting on the boots of the gospel of peace. So here's the thought. I'm saved. And I know it. I'm a child of God. I am not his enemy anymore. Thank you, Jesus. I am at eternal peace with God and I have the peace of God in my life. Therefore, what can man or Satan really do to me now? See, that's the idea. That's why it's so important to continually remind yourself of the gospel of peace. See, Satan and life will try to knock you down and cause you to flee instead of stand strong. When that happens, look to the cross and remind yourself, God loves me. God is for me. Christ died for me. I'm a saved child of God. See how it works? Hey, when worries and fears surround you, look to the cross and remind yourself, God loves me. God is for me. Christ died for me. I'm a saved child of God. When you fall and fail and you mess up big time, look to the cross and remind yourself, God loves me, God is for me, Christ died for me, I'm a saved child of God. When you're at your wit's end and you're scared and you're worried for a loved one or for yourself and you begin to waver, look to the cross and remind yourself, God loves me, God is for me, Christ died for me, I'm a child of God. See how it works? This really points us back to God's amazing and unfathomable love for which he specifically and personally loves us, his saved and beloved children. See, when all is dark and you feel all alone, you ever been there? You're weary and you're worn out and you're beaten down and you're suffering and you just feel like you can't hold on any longer. When you feel like Peter, as if Satan was personally sifting you, you like wheat, what are you to do? This. Put on the shoes and remember the gospel of peace. Remember the good news. Remember Christ and the cross and what that means. Remember God's great love for you. For you. 
for me. Look, he loves his people, you and I, with an everlasting love. That's good to remember. He gave his son for you. That's good to remember. He poured out his divine wrath against your sin onto God the Son so that you could be with him. Talk about love. That's good to remember. One said, if I realize that God loves me and loves me infinitely and loves me eternally, then I can do anything for God and I can suffer anything from the hand of God. Because we know that a God who loves us this much can be trusted even when things are hard. That's good to remember. This love that's so clearly seen in the gospel gives us perspective. This love raises us above our trials. This love comforts us in our lonely hours and in our seasons of sickness and sorrow. And this love inspires us to be courageous and bold and godly and to keep standing no matter what because a God like this is worthy of our passionate love in return. Because a God like this is worthy of standing up for even against Satan himself. That's good to remember. See, the gospel brings great peace. Anybody? (laughs) Great comfort. Great shalom to our frazzled and frayed lives. Great comfort. And wise souls, strong spiritual soldiers, shod their feet with the gospel of peace continually. Is that true of you? The call then? Put on the armor, all of it. All of it. Conviction. Firm and resolute based on the truth of God. I'm not going to waver. I'm all in. I'm all in. Righteousness, where you remind yourself that you're saved, forgiven, and clean in the sight of God because of Christ. And where you then commit to living righteously more and more for His glory based on your intense love for Him. And then the gospel of peace, where you continually remind yourself and bask in the incredible good news of Christ. And and what He did for you on that cross for all who believe and for you specifically His beloved child, which makes everything else pale in comparison. Which not only brings peace between you and God resulting in eternal life but also fills you with the peace of God, which makes all the other trials and problems of our lives seem very small indeed. Put that on it and leave it on. Never take it off. And those who do that are the spiritual warriors that stand strong in the Lord, and Satan hates it, and God loves it. That's half the armor. We'll get to the next half next week. Let's pray. Father, help us to put on all the armor and to keep it there. Help us to not listen to the lies of the wicked one who wants to shake us and knock us back and drag us down and lie to us. Give us conviction, Lord. Because Your Word is truth and You save. Help us to stand in that, to remember who You are and what You've done and what that means. And to live it out more and more and not court sin which is just so not what Christians who are battling should be about. We fight sin. Help us to fight sin and always remember the gospel that gives us true peace. May we encourage one another in this truth. I pray that you would mold us more and more into good soldiers here at Faith Community Church for your glory. Bless us as we go out in Jesus' name. Amen.